What does it mean to be out on Earth? Join two friends as we broaden our small town perspectives and explore the enchanting, hilarious, and unusual interconnections between society, ecology, and queerness. My name is Cricket. My pronouns are she, they. My name is Ashton, and my pronouns are they, them. And today we're talking about a lot of things. <laughs> All of the things. We're in a place of many thoughts. Yeah. Yes. It's a solar punk episode. It's a tech episode. It's a digital knowledge episode um it's a gay episode about it is um gay nature of course yeah which is almost every episode i suppose right that's kind of the point of the podcast, right <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's the finale of it, a digital ecology ew. series Ugh. which is kind of crazy uh, the finale of our second series i know wow two series deep yeah and the last episode that you will hear from us um in the year of in the Lord's year of 2023. Yes, we're taking a holiday break. A hiatus, if you will. A hiatus, a break, mm-hmm. a a moment just I'm, to breathe. Yes. Um, it's been a crazy time, but we we just need we just need some time. Got to <laughs> and, recharge. And you are traveling. You're oh, crazy. I'm about to be out and about. Yeah. <laughs> we're about to head to New Orleans next week, and yeah. then. I work, I come back for Christmas Eve, then I work Christmas Day, and then we leave the morning of the 26th, and we come back, I think, New Year's. I don't know. Yeah. So we're really going to be... That's so exciting. You yeah. deserve it. I yeah. feel like you haven't, like, I'm using every... left Oklahoma City in, like, no. years. <laughs> I am using every vacation hour that I have to use. Well, yeah, so we'll be gone. So, you know, if you miss us, though, we will be releasing a bonus episode out on the patreon about elderly influencers mm-hmm. um coming that's a soon. good one yeah that's a good one whenever i finish editing it i do want to just really quickly talk about um if you guys have been listening for a while you might realize that we now have ads yeah playing which is really exciting for us there is only going to be like three ads playing and one of them is going to come like after our little intro before Mm -hmm. we kind of start and then there will be a mid-roll ad and then there's one at the very very end we don't have really any control over what ads play Mm -hmm. they're kind of like youtube ads Mm -hmm. where it's like it's depending on where you're listening and your algorithm so yeah i yeah if you (laughs) if you know anything about like podcasting and ad services we're basically receiving ads through a third-party service yeah um and so we yeah we don't have really any control over that and you know as we grow i you know i hope that that does change yeah um but for now we are working within our limits and working to like make this sustainable right um so yeah and if you hate the ads, then you can listen ad free on Patreon. We have a solution for, for just a dollar a month. You a dollar a month without any ads. A dollar a month. That's all we <laughs> so, need. So, um, but yeah, thank you guys for hanging in there through the ads. Um, it really, really helps us out. And yes. Yeah. And speaking of Patreon, can do some <laughs> some Earthling shout outs. Okay. I love our patrons. Hey y'all. I'm gonna Earthlings. do some work during the break to kind of like make the patron patreon a more interactive place to be especially the discord Mm -hmm. um because there are a lot there's a good amount of people in the discord now so we can like kind of do a little activity period stop i want to do a little discord chat moment yeah no i want to do chats i want to do like a movie night um there's a discussion board in there for every single one of our episodes yeah so if you have something you want to talk about in the episode that's on there too yeah um, we can play Fortnite together. <laughs> oh my god. We can play Pokemon Unite together. Yeah. Oh my god. But anyways. Okay, yeah. 
Um, so, our Earthlings. Hey. Shout out to Mr. Pickles, Veronica L., Bailey Veda, Hey Queen, Greg Ginko, Katonk One, Kelly Erickson, Shelly DeVost, Kelly and Jackie Adams, Carly Langlo- Lang, this every time. Lengua. Lengua. Okay. See, every <laughs> time it gets me. Um, Clem Barra, Maggie Ahern, Mary Smiley Face, Lena Sue, Shell Wagner, Wyatt Armstrong, Stephanie Joseph, OK Dad, and Young Mustard. Wow. Yeah. We love you guys. So a recap of our <laughs> last four episodes. Um, so we started with Queering the Craft, which is, I think, kind of our magnum opus. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about sort of the ways that crafting is anti-capitalist and the ways in which capitalism has almost like subjugated crafting and the ways you can take crafting back yeah, and make it your own and queer it up a bit. Right. And it was kind of like us beginning to talk about how technology evolves Mm -hmm. and early technology. You know, we started from the very beginning. Because like (laughs) you can consider like a a knitting needle, like early technology for sure. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. And just kind of the ways that it has evolved and Mm -hmm. changed and become kind of like a community force. Mm -hmm. And so then. I kind of took that with PK and theater. I hardly know her. Um, <laughs> and we talked that's about... such a good title. <laughs> okay, Wyatt came up with it. Wait, really? <laughs> yeah. That's such a good title. Oh, um, my God. We talked about theater as um, kind of like a gender-affirming community and experience, just mm. like acting, the way that it can like tie back into the caring about nature and mm. like understanding nature and be like becoming a part of it and so shot till we death drop we discussed a lot of sort of um black friday stuff well black friday more fast fashion type stuff yeah um washing washing a lot of washing mm-hmm. um rainbow washing green washing um we talked about the idf a little bit mm-hmm. um and that sort of Connected with digital ecology in the ways that we engage with shopping online mainly mm-hmm. um, and less so much um, in stores as technology advances. Right. Just kind of like how technology can make us consume more than we need to. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Um, and the ways that brands and companies use technology to tell us things that we think we want to hear and mm-hmm. makes us buy things and mm-hmm. causes hyperconsumption. So also love that episode mm-hmm. we had a good time with that, that and then of course one. elderly influencers i'm not going to say anything about that because y'all haven't no. heard it yet no but uh, it is it is good <laughs> we are in a we are in a place yeah. in that episode right a place and so we've talked a lot about like throughout this series we've talked a lot about the ways that the internet has served as like a capitalistic tool for exploitation turning us into hyper consumers And so today we kind of want to talk about what are the ways that the internet and other tech can become a tool of resilience, community power, and regeneration. And so today is kind of like a collection of those stories Mm -hmm. um, that help us understand what kinds of knowledge we need and how we can uplift this knowledge using the internet and other new technology. Period. Yeah. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I'm excited. How about we dive into it and you can sit back and listen. Okay. Okay. Period. Let's go. <laughs> All right. So we're going to start in a place of eco-eroticism um and eco-sexuality and i will like definitely get into more of definition and theory later on but i want to start out with basically like can you think of a time that you were outside in nature and felt some source of contentment and can you like recount it for me and if you can't that's Mm. fine i have some examples i think kind of like a, a more recent experience that kind of took me out of it is I hadn't been to like a beach in a really, really long Mm. time. And when we went to San Francisco this past October, yeah, Mm -hmm. I got to go to a beach and it was cold and, you know, I'm not going to get in the water. Obviously, Mm -hmm. it's California. But um, I think just like the sand Mm. was so soft on my feetsies. Yeah. And the sounds of the water Mm -hmm. was like so, it was just overstimulating in the best way. Just like washing (laughs) over you. Yeah. 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 And so I just, I remember just like sitting there, me and Brady were sitting there, we were just Mm -hmm. kind of like soaking it all in. Yeah. And I feel like I do soak soak it in Mm -hmm. anytime I'm like in nature, Mm -hmm. but that was just an experience I can remember just because I don't ever get to go to the beach. Yeah. And it was kind of a special time we are in a landlocked state yeah so but we do and this might be false fake information but allegedly we have the most shoreline out of any state because of the amount of man-made bodies of water we have so that's iconic but anyways (laughs) back to eco-eroticism okay yeah so that is eco-eroticism in a lot of ways so the term eco-eroticism arose from the eco-sex manifesto and basically eco-eroticism is intimacy with nature just at its like most basic tenet Mm. is just intimacy with nature um that can take a sexual tone that can take a non-sexual tone um it just kind of depends on the context so the eco-sex manifesto was written by elizabeth stevens and annie sprinkle which i just thought was the sprinkle the the cutest little name that's a good first name yeah that's a non-binary name annie sprinkle hi i'm sprinkle <laughs> i know somebody named moth and i'm like that's the most non-binary <laughs> name, name i've ever Cricket. heard <laughs> and that is your birth name too like you were born to be non-binary <laughs> people used to ask me all the time like 
what's your real name? And now they just think it's my like chosen name. So they don't ask me that anymore, which is funny. <laughs> Honestly, we're, we are evolving as a world. <laughs> it could either be that they were like thinking they were asking for my dead name or they thought <laughs> that I had like a Japanese real name, you mm. know? So either way, it's not good. Yeah. <laughs> either way, I was like, we are entering a dangerous territory. <laughs> I'm like, uh, why do you that, That's either one call me by my name extremely appropriate (laughs) yeah i was like i don't feel good about either yeah so (laughs) um but the ecosex manifesto um so it basically describes ecosex and ecosexuality as a radical version of environmentalism in which the political becomes deeply personal as it is tied back to nature and the nature of the human body Mm. um so ecosexuals are self-proclaimed aerophiles, aquaphiles, pyrophiles, and terophiles, and include people from all aspects of life, including lawyers, artists, politicians, sex workers, scientists, educators, and activists. I'm a a pluviophile. What what is a pluviophile? I think that means rain. Because I love rain. Yeah. Pluviophile is so fancy. You know, I'll just sit outside in the rain. (laughs) Did you? Ooh, it was raining last night, I believe, Mm -hmm. and I had my window open. Girl. Yeah, me too. I slept with the window Girl. open. Yeah. And it's okay. This is a sidebar, but like it is cold, kind of. Oklahoma winters are like very specific, but sleeping with the window just slightly mm-hmm. cracked in the fall slash winter yeah. is so superior. The smell that fills the, the room, the crispness of the yeah. air in your room, yeah. like, and then the experience of being under your covers and yeah. like in your cave, <laughs> like your burrito of warmth. So I think something important to mention whenever we're talking about ecosexuals is this is not necessarily a queer identity um Mm. so you can be an ecosexual and identify as cisgender you can be an ecosexual and identify as straight it really is just an identifier of intimacy with the earth and your desire to experience that intimacy with the earth And so this is not like an identifier of sexual attraction, but it is the definition of the intimate and extractable connections between our minds and bodies with the natural world around Mm -hmm. and within us. A quote that I really liked from the Ecosex Manifesto was, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that we are all a part of, not separate from nature. Thus, all sex is ecosex. We collaborate with nature. We treat the earth with kindness, respect, and affection. And I liked that first part, thus all sex is ecosex, because I kind of, I like took a lot of like science courses in undergrad. Can it Uh, be me? Yeah, I mean, I got my bachelor's (laughs) in science. Um, And so I view the human body in like, on a, it's a small scale earth, Mm. the human body is, in my opinion. And in the way that we have all these little ecosystems of like, acidity here and basicity here and a microbiome Mm -hmm. here and a different Mm -hmm. one here and so if we take that line all sex is ecosex if we think of ourselves as like an amalgamation of an ecology of like bacteria and all these kinds of things yeah when we are engaging in like sexual intercourse with each other like that is quite literally ecosex yeah um and so i just just like that is like a really cool way to think about that i really enjoyed it even beyond intercourse, though, I feel like just existing around someone else's microbiome, it starts, mm-hmm. you start to merge. And well, then, think yeah. about like um, people with uteruses, they will like sink periods if they're around each other long yeah. enough. Like, I mean, that 
that's intimate. I don't or know. Or like you get sick at the same time as your partner. Exactly. You at the same time as your Sympathy partner. pregnancy. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Referencing another episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, but per all of the research that I did, ecosexuality and ecoeroticism are just defined as intimacy with the natural world, whether or not that takes on a sexual mm -hmm. or fetishized form. Yeah. Because initially when I was doing this research, I was approaching it from like a, this is not about sex at all. This is just about like caring for the earth. And like after doing my research, I realized that's just not the case. Yeah. Um, that it is tied to sex in a lot of ways. And so. I think my question is like, why do we need to categorize it as like eco-sex or eco-eroticism instead of just like connection with the earth? And that's a great, great question. Um, I kind of addressed that a little bit later, but um, it's basically white people intellectualizing indigenous knowledge. Well, mm. intellectualizing indigenous knowledge is unfair because it's already intellectual, but like making it palatable to a larger white scientific audience, okay, I okay. believe would be the purpose of eco-sex and right. like eco-eroticism. Yeah. Ultimately, I think that's what it comes down to. Okay. Because these these theories are really just connection with the natural world, the natural world being both us and everything around us. Right. Um, so yeah, no, it is such a basic, basic principle, but you can do so much research into it and it yeah. gets like really fun, really exciting. Um, there's something called an eco bathhouse. Ooh. Um, so if you're not familiar with what a bathhouse is um, in the queer community, they're basically almost like spa slash sauna places you mm -hmm. can go to and sort of, have little sexual escapades with right. other people there. <laughs> and so there is this place called an eco bathhouse and you go into it and there's just all of these different kinds of exhibits that you go through. And like one of them that I remember explicitly is like you, I didn't go, but I remember like watching a video of it Yeah, and you walk into this room and you put on goggles <laughs> what? and they blast you with pollen. They just go, Oh, I would literally die. <laughs> like they just, I don't, I mean, like maybe the pollen is synthetic. Like maybe it's not real pollen, but maybe yeah. it's just like, like mimicking the experience of what that might look like. Right. But I was like, you're a bee. Yeah. Like you're turning into a bee in that moment. Yeah. And like there is pollen over every inch of your body. I'm like, that's eco-erotic if you ask me. Yeah. Um, but kind of earlier how you were talking about um, sort of, feeling the softness of the sand and feeling the, like the sound of the waves washing over you. Things like that are eco-erotic or even um, laying on a cool rock and like the sun's beating down on you. And mm -hmm. like the sun is touching every inch of your exposed skin or like even better, like you're swimming and like the water is literally touching every inch of you and yeah. you are fully submerged in it. Um, and I just think there is something... Uh, I do think that eco-sex and eco-eroticism intellectualize something that is doesn't need to be intellectualized because it's mm. something that we all have already within us. Right. Um, but it's I do like think it's like a binary established yes. just to yes. explain it to a culture that yes. doesn't understand it or experience it in a way that's more inherent to yes. their daily needs, life. And needs it presented in Period. like an academic way for some reason to yeah. like think it has any real like weight to it. And yeah. I'll discuss a little bit more about that later as well. But for sure, I do think that there is some invalidity dare I say, Ooh. to um, <laughs> eco-sex, eco-sexuality and eco-eroticism in that yeah. sense. Um, but 
you know, for the purpose of um, a fun pod, I, I do think that they're kind of fun to talk about. Yeah. So, um, and then there is one other thing that I kind of wanted to refer back to, um, referring back to us. Um, I think that magic is eco-eroticism. Ooh, definitely. Um, like, if we're going to think about it in a very, I don't know, like, stereotypical sense, if you're, like, sitting at your altar and you're, like, putting yeah. all of your herbs together and making, like, a potion, like, in a way I find that, like, to be very eco-erotic. Mm -hmm. Not even just in the way that you're, you know, physically interacting with these herbs, but in the way that you you know them and right. you know their properties and you know how they interact together. Like, right. it's almost like you're creating a team of organisms that you have, like, lived with and learned with and you know have learned how to assemble them into something larger and i just find that like that's really dope yeah i think that's really cool definitely magic is yeah 100 yeah. percent. so yeah um and just sort of to wrap up ecosex ecosexuality and ecoeroticism um i think a beautiful like non-sexual example of ecoeroticism is the reciprocity within indigenous communities mm -hmm. um so for example like in braiding sweetgrass, which we'll refer to here in a little bit, um, Robin Wall Kimmer talks about leaving tobacco at the base of plants whenever she takes from them. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's something very beautiful and intimate about that sort of reciprocal moment where you're acknowledging what you're receiving and also acknowledging there has to be some giving as well right. at the same time. Absolutely. Um, and I think that is just something that is inherent to indigenous knowledge as a whole. Right. Um, so yeah, and with that being said, Ooh. smooth transition <laughs> <laughs> into um, indigenous knowledge. So ecoeroticism and our spiritual connection with nature allow us to see the ways that we might also learn from nature and communicate for our mutual benefit. Mm -hmm. So Cricket and I are going to kind of collab a little Yay! joint sleigh on this section, um, <laughs> just because we both have stories from um books that i think are very important to us or at least like struck a chord with us at one point yeah and continue to struck strike a chord with us um and specifically describe you know indigenous knowledge um indigenous sciences and stuff like that mm -hmm. um do you want to start i've been i've been talking so much oh okay i was about to say you want to break totally. it up a little bit yeah so here i come back to braiding sweetgrass <laughs> <laughs> um in braiding sweetgrass robin Kimmer talks about how in some native languages this is a quote in some native languages the term for plants translates to those who take care of us <laughs> and i love that <laughs> and um you know she she talks about like teaching um her daughters to garden because it means that when she dies they'll still have a mother to take care of them mm. and i think um we can learn a lot about the ways that um nature and plants and animals and non-human actors they all work together and mm. um an example from all we can save by yeah. ayana elizabeth johnson and katherine wilkinson um it is by them. It's edited by them, but it's like a collection of essays from others. Mm -hmm. And so one of the first chapters is by someone named Janine Benyus. Um, it's called Reciprocity. And also Janine coined biomimicry. What? Isn't that crazy? Oh, that's wild. Yeah. Um, and so Janine talks about release cutting, um, which is like a practice that she was kind of forced to do whenever she was like studying um 
forest management. What is that called? Like for forestry? For, forest management and forestry. They're pretty interchangeable. Okay, right? cool. And so one thing that she had to do was like cut trees and brush back in order to phase out the competition of the forest. Mm-hmm. And it's something that like a lot of programs do, I guess, just to kind of like they think that they think that it'll help the trees proliferate because there's less competition mm-hmm. i think we've talked about this before mm. but um basically that was like the standard idea of like forestry for a long time mm-hmm. and then eventually they started to learn that like these ecosystems were working to- together like the forest ecosystem all of it mm-hmm. was kind of necessary to just support one another and she calls it facilitation and so that kind of leads me into systems thinking um, which is something that tech bros thought that they came up with in like 2010 for indigenous cultures and for literally ecosystems. Um, systems thinking is not like an academic exercise, Mm-mm. but it's a way of life mm-hmm. and their existence is rooted in like the awareness that everything is interconnected. Mm-hmm. And that's a quote from this article that I found um, about indigenous cybernetics. And that refers to the way that like indigenous science and knowledge is often like challenged as mm-hmm. being something that's outdated or like an old worldview or like a pseudoscience almost. Right. But there's like plenty of ways that um, and we'll get into it through like GIS and, mm-hmm. you know, all of that. But there's plenty mm-hmm. of ways that like indigenous knowledge is being brought into mm-hmm. 2023, yeah. <laughs> whether that be mapping or. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that we see tribes running governments, like literally mm-hmm. it's it this idea that like just because this is an old knowledge that it hasn't caught up with like the way that we need to function in our world is like it's just fucked up. Yeah. And um that kind of proliferates in the way that in, in a, a concept called indigenous data sovereignty, mm-hmm. which is the way that like access to the internet is like very much limited Mm -hmm. um for a lot of indigenous communities and i want to say for sure that like not all reservations are the same we have Mm -hmm. so much diversity between tribes and reservations and Mm -hmm. the way that land has been split up and divided and taken and Mm -hmm. shifted and all all of that is extremely complicated and so it's like really irresponsible to like group reservations into a monolith Mm -hmm. All that's to say that um, I did find that 18% of reservation residents have no internet access at home, either wireless or land-based internet, and 33% um, rely on cell phone service for at-home internet, 49% utilize a land-based internet service provider, and 31% have spotty internet or no connection at home, even with a smartphone. And so we have these like... What's happening? (laughs) My ears were hurting, and so I needed to adjust them real quick. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Like making eye contact with me and shifting it. (laughs) (laughs) Um so that's to say, like that we have all of this knowledge, all of this really important knowledge that connects with like eco-eroticism and like connects with the way that we can manage our communities and like support one another going forward. Mm -hmm. And as it's being brought into these like new technologies, we also have these communities who do not have access to the fucking internet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's called data sovereignty. So I think 
you, I could go down a, a huge like hole about uh, a little tangent. Yeah, data sovereignty and indigenous cybernetics because there's just so many. Like I found this um, like AI weaving machine that was like weaving um, and learning and okay. like trying to um, ensure like the survivance of these technologies oh, and wow. like. There's so many cool ways that tribes are using AI to, okay. to I don't know, it's cool. Okay. <laughs> so if if that I don't know, go go down the rabbit hole if you want to. Mm. <laughs> but um, I think that's all I want to talk about, except um, just to acknowledge that like we we can appreciate indigenous knowledge and learn from it without glorifying it, mm-hmm. and um, without pointing to it as like the entirety of mm-hmm. like I we can't shift all of the responsibility of like solving the climate crisis and mm-hmm. learning from each other and creating community from them. Like we, yeah. it should not be on the shoulders of knowledge keepers and land defenders. Like mm-hmm. we can learn from it without being like, this is all your job, yeah. you know? hundred percent. Yeah. So I, I just need to say that because yeah, I feel like I listen important. to so many podcasts that like mm-hmm. talk about indigenous knowledge almost as if they're at church. And mm-hmm. it really annoys me because I'm yeah. like, you guys are like, like shifting it all onto this community and not taking any of the responsibility of yeah well that yourself and like it's kind of wild for us to shift all of that responsibility onto a demographic of people onto a culture of people that have been historically and are still being stripped of resources of access to like anything else that anybody for example outside of reservation um that's just one example but not all indigenous people live on reservations right so that's another important thing to mention so yeah for sure and part of why i wanted you to kind of pick that up first was because one you're just so beautifully spoken on that topic and so i just kind of wanted to like hear you talk (laughs) for a sec um and then two you sort of mentioned something that is like a very heavy theme what i'm about to talk about which is if you care for nature, nature will care for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a while back, probably about a year ago, I read this book called Banana Leaves, Healing Indigenous Landscapes with Indigenous Science. Um, it's written by a Dr. Jessica Hernandez. Ooh. Yeah. God, I want to be a doctor so bad. And you're going to be. I want Dr. Cricket Kaya. Me. It's going to happen. Dr. Ashtonatic. PhD. <laughs> well, okay. What would you get your PhD in? I mean, I already know the answer Philosophy. to this. I know, but I needed the pod girlies to know. I don't know what I'd get mine in. Probably public health. Yeah. With a focus on like queer health. Yeah. Yeah. Something's not. That sounds sexy. Gender. Something. I'm, oh, God. I could do anything on gender. Yeah. Oh, my God. I could rant about gender forever. <laughs> and that's what this is for. No, literally. <laughs> can we just submit this for our doctoral? I think we probably can. Honestly, just. They're gonna give us what is what did they give Taylor Swift? Um, I know she got like an honorary PhD. Yeah, can we just get an honorary PhD? Like, what? like she's Doctor Taylor Swift. Like we can't say PhD shit to her. In pollution. <laughs> <laughs> no, the Swifties are gonna hate me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Honestly, I love, no, uh, no, I love it. y'all Swifties need to reckon with Taylor's <laughs> actions. Okay, reckon with her actions. Anyways, <laughs> shit. <laughs> but um, in this book, Banana Leaves, um, Dr. Hernandez Hernandez includes a story told to her 
by her father that recounts his time in the Civil War of El Salvador as an 11-year-old. Um, so he was forced into war. Um, he was either forced to join the government military, um, mm -hmm. which was persecuting the people of El Salvador who were rebelling against like coffee and banana plantations that were being put on stolen indigenous lands. And so the military was basically silencing the people who were trying to stand up for rights, trying to stand up for land rights and mm -hmm. sovereignty. And mm -hmm. so if you did not join the military, you were killed by what was called a death squad. Oh um, and this would often be like a public execution. Um, or his other option, which he ended up going with, was he joined sort of like a guerrilla warfare team um and acted as like a rebel against the el salvador military mm -hmm. so um i think one of it, it's just one of the things about this that i i want to briefly touch on is sort of the way that our use of natural resources has led to so much death how the unsustainability or lack of sustainability of our use of resources historically has led to global conflicts and is going to continue to lead them increasingly. And so like reading this book and reckoning with like our systems of use and our ways that we engage with natural resources, quote unquote. Yeah. Like what even is a natural resource? Yeah, exactly. Um, Something that we've decided is, is valuable yeah, and that we can sell and, and profit sell. off yes, of. Yeah. Exactly. And so it's just, it's frustrating to know that like the the thing that we should be engaging with and that we should be we should be having these eco-erotic moments with you know mm -hmm. is becoming our downfall like just something that i have been just like chewing on for a while i guess i don't know yeah kind of sucks but anyways <laughs> um so there's a lot more historical context to the civil war that happened in el salvador um right. if you have a library card i would highly suggest you get on libby um and check out the audiobook or if you've got the coin give dr hernandez your coin yeah because it is a beautiful book but anyways i'm gonna Dude, get i, I, will, I literally have the copy on me right now do you want it yeah yeah it's in my backpack here i'll wait until we finish recording but i'll <laughs> yeah, give it to you i just you. start reading i'll give it to you literally you don't hear cricket for the rest of the episode your three pages of notes do not see the light of day <laughs> um so when her father was 14, he was in a guerrilla encampment um, and guerrilla encampments are basically like independent oppositional militia forces. Mm -hmm. um, and that encampment was bombed by the military. Um, and during this bombing, he sought refuge under one of the many banana trees surrounding him. Um, he said that these banana trees had served as a source of nourishment for months. They would eat them with salt, turn them into tortillas, like... It's one of the only things that they had to eat um, right. during war. And so they had almost reached some sort of like kinship with these trees. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, he said, quote, I recall during this bombardment of our encampment that a bomb fell on top of the tree I was under. As the bomb dropped, I saw how the banana trees wrapped their leaves around this bomb and it did not ignite. I strongly believe that this banana tree saved my life. Mm -hmm. Her father said, Quote, I will say that I survived because nature served as a protective shield for me. It took care of me when no one would. Um, and so just a huge theme within that book is how nature is akin to all of us. And if we choose to 
engage with it and we choose to protect it, it will do the same for us. And we'll begin to see sort of the beauty within nature and right. how that is reflected within ourselves. And I think that is sort of a mechanism to treating both ourselves and other people with more kindness. Right. Um, yeah. But yeah. And so with that being said, hard transition. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think, okay, I don't think it's a hard transition. I'll I don't think why. it's a hard transition either because if we're thinking about like sovereignty and we're thinking about data sovereignty and mm -hmm. we're thinking about ways of making ourselves or minoritized groups visible when they've been made invisible for so long, um, I think GIS is becoming one of those tools that is so paramount to making that visibility happen. Right. Um, and there's just a lot of really interesting ways in which they're doing it. Yeah. Just geography and map making, so cartography cool. in general so is cool. a career it in is of itself. An ancient art, and we've always done it, it in beautiful. so many different ways. It's beautiful. Through storytelling, through art, mm -hmm. through literally just making a map i don't know but yeah. like we've I always mean, done it and so like thinking about the ways that it's evolved from just like having a piece of paper to yeah to now is really exciting etched and, into a dried skin of something now right. to like full like online systems right and we yeah. also know that like maps have served as a form of oppression and mm. like like the idea that Europe is on top of the map and like literally the placement of where things are can mm -hmm. like symbolize supremacy. Well, and placement in a lot of ways can impact what resources you have access to. And so it does put you at a, either an advantage or a disadvantage within a capitalist system. Exactly. So, yeah, for sure. Um, so for people who may not know like what GIS stands for, Oh yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, no. All of all of my like environmental sustainability friends were like GIS nerds. And yeah. so like all of it is yeah. But GIS stands for geographical information systems. Um, and it's a field of study in which spatial and geographical information are recorded, edited, analyzed, and organized into things like Google Maps, for example. Mm -hmm. Um that was kind of like the easiest example I could think of of a geographical information system yeah it's like a digital map mm -hmm. that's you, usually interactive yeah digital and... visual representation of a spatial geographical location yeah um sorry that was <laughs> there's a lot of olds in there yeah yeah um but yes and so this type of software is used in things like climate science urban planning um, and even demographic mapping for things like population density and districting um, and so historically, kind of how you had just talked about um, these ways of mapping can be used um, to segregate and separate, um, for example, like redlining, mm -hmm. that's one um, where maps have been used to oppress people, keep them away from resources. Um, yeah. Additionally, oh, go ahead. I heard you take a breath in. Do or, you have a thought? <laughs> yeah, well, even just like the way that... Um, we see different maps depicting Israel-Palestine right now mm. and just like the this the land struggle mm. is something that you can see over maps over time mm. and you can see like who decides what is a country who decides what's a border mm -hmm. and if it's like a UN map it's going to be different mm -hmm. than a map that's 
made yeah. in Palestine or a map that's made maps in... Maps have bias. Exactly. And they are made by humans. And because we have bias, our maps are also biased. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, maps have basically served to, like, invisibilize the undesirable, quote, like, people or places um, on the map. And yeah. so... However, recently, it has gone sort of a, a queering, if you will. Ooh. Queering the Map is a community-generated counter-mapping platform for archiving... Ooh, counter-mapping. Counter-mapping. Cool. I know, it's like... <laughs> um, for archiving queer experiences in relation to physical space. It is called, quote, an interface to collaboratively record the cartography of queer life from mm. park benches to the middle of the ocean in order... To preserve our histories and unfolding realities, which continue to be invalidated, contested, and erased. Um, and that is like, their website is very bare bones. But for that to be the largest paragraph of words on their website, I was just like, this is so beautiful and so yeah. profound. And like, I just want to meet the person that wrote this paragraph. Yeah. <laughs> um, so basically what querying the map is, is you can log on and you can drop a little pin. Um, and that pin can be wherever you are. And on that pin, you can write a little note. Um, so for example, I was scrolling through something the other day. I can't remember what it was, probably Instagram. Um, and saw on somebody had taken a screenshot from Queering the Map. And it was of all of the Queering the Map entries in Palestine. Oh, and there yeah. were so many. And it was just like so cool to see like a visual rep representation of our community and to see that like we are ubiquitous across the world and, like there is no space that does not have us right um and so i think that there's something super super empowering about that visual um because you can get told something all day every day but seeing it for yourself is truly i don't know just altering in a lot yeah. of ways and i think that this sort of technology serves a lot of queer people in a lot of really important ways like i know growing up as a kid in rural Oklahoma, like, I didn't think there were a lot of gay people around me mm -hmm. that were even gay people generally. Right. And if I would have had or would have known about something like querying the map, like, I could have logged on and been like, has anybody made an entry here? Yeah. Like, would I be the first person to make an entry? Like, is there, like, I don't know, even just, obviously, you can't connect with the person that made the entry. But just that knowledge of like, I'm not alone, even if I feel alone. Yeah. Um, I think is so important. It is. And so. Can honest, I say something insane? <laughs> say something crazy. <laughs> Grinder distance meter walked so that querying the map could run. <laughs> okay, no. Fuck the grinder meter. Let's talk about the sniffies <laughs> location the meter. Ah! I don't even know what that is. Okay, so we're getting deep into gay culture now, y'all. <laughs> okay, so if you don't know, grinder has a setting where it will like tell you how far away people are from you. That's what's, crazy. What's That's so even crazy? What's even crazier? Talk about GIS, and I actually have a note <laughs> about this here. But sniffies is a cruising app, oh, and okay. it basically geolocates you and oh my God. allows you to see everybody's exact location and where they are and in their bio they will tell you specifically in the building where they are like if they're in a bathroom they'll tell you like which bathroom Damn. and like you can go and hook up with them and it is i have logged on out of simple curiosity mm -hmm. and 
It is terrifying. <laughs> Maybe we should take GIS systems away from queer people. <laughs> <laughs> because that Just wait app, till the straight people find that. No. Oh, my God. They're going to get scared, too. <laughs> They're going to get scared, What's too. What's your favorite, like, map app? Not, like, navigation app, but just, iNaturalist. Like, iNaturalist is such a good map app. I love app. that one. I yeah. love that one. Just, like, being able to see where species are. A, yeah, it's, like, you guys should not be paying for these plant identification apps. Please don't. Because iNaturalist is free. And or it Seek. Is Seek is a good one, peer too. Peer-reviewed. When you post something, it'll tell you what planet it is. And there's literally all these scientists in the chat yep. who are, like, verifying what it is. And then it goes into, like, a database mm -hmm. that helps report mm -hmm. your, like, surrounding yeah. environment. It's, you, it's, like, a real, real way of, like, community reporting, community, like... Citizen science. Citizen science, community activism in some ways. Yeah. Like, I, I, I would really suggest if you haven't downloaded it before or don't know what it is to really check it out. Um, that and if you need to identify a plant, I don't know if iNaturalist does that, but if it doesn't, it, it does. does. Okay, it does. that's so cool. Um, Seek is also a really good one. I think mm. that's by National Geographic. Cool. Um, and that's one I used a lot. Um, and I really like that one too. So yeah, what's your favorite mapping system? No, we're being so annoying. <laughs> what's your favorite mapping system? Um, Flush. It shows you all the public restrooms in your area. <laughs> definitely a need if you're traveling to a new city that is iconic you just gotta i mean that's and, iconic. and you can leave little reviews you can be like yeah it was a great poop <laughs> taking note bro <laughs> it's a good one i'll be shitting on the side of the highway <laughs> listen don't play if you don't want me shitting on the side of the highway give me a restroom <laughs> the fuck well, yeah flush <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what if we're out of gas and it's dark and you have a flat tire? I think at this point you just want to. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many ways to not shit on the highway and you're like, listen, I <laughs> memories. <laughs> Why? I hope you still love me after this road trip. <laughs> Road trips are great for um This is our really first road trip. Deep. This is our first road trip. So in so many ways, we as queer people have mapped geographies of ourselves onto the internet in the forms of Reddit and Tumblr forums, drag race Twitter threads, and online <laughs> and online activist communities. So so much of our queer identities are crafted from the ways that we act within the spatiality of internet spaces. Um I know that like I personally can say that without the internet or television, it would have been years on top of how long it took me to come out before I would have come out or before I would have seen my first example of like queer joy and queer celebration. Yeah. Like, and I, for queer people in like our age range um, who watch Drag Race, like I think a lot of them will share this memory, but like um, season, I think it was 10, maybe nine, um, where Sasha Velour takes off the wig and the mm -hmm. rose petals fall out. <laughs> like, that was a formative, formative moment for me. Yeah. And because I remember this feeling of like, holy fucking shit, that is so gaggy. And like <laughs> this, like this first feeling of like real connection with that queer community of yeah. like sharing with that crowd in that moment of being like what the fuck like yeah. roses which in looking back not that crazy 
but like in the moment it was, was wild yeah it was crazy and so really like truly without these things queer persons like the internet is a queer person's tool for navigating the new online geographies that are kind of coming about every day as the internet yeah. expands and it contracts and grows and changes it's, it's terrifying interesting because like it's a place that community can form without a physical hub of where they meet you know mm -hmm. like it, it is creating new geographies yeah but it's a digital geography Ooh. and <laughs> did you hear that digital geography <laughs> it's time for ad, capitalism ad break <laughs> sorry guys here I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Hi, are you enjoying the episode? Well, it's brought to you by our Patreon. We are a fully independent self-funding podcast and we wouldn't be able to make any of it without our Earthlings on Patreon. We currently have two tiers that you can join. For just $1 a month, you'll unlock ad-free bonus and video episodes. And for $5, you'll get both of those things as well as early releases and access to the community discord. You can join using the link in the description or going to patreon.com slash outonearthpod. We understand that not everyone can donate, but if you wouldn't mind rating our show wherever you're listening and giving us a follow, that helps us out so much. Okay, that's it. Let's get back to the show. Okay, we're back. Hey. <laughs> Thank you for sticking with us. Much yeah. love. <laughs> this is Much so love. weird. This is know. so weird, yeah. Because, okay. <laughs> like, y'all heard an ad. We just sat here in silence for, like, three seconds. <laughs> 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 like, nothing changed. I hope it wasn't a bad ad. I don't think Shein does ads, but what if we got a Shein ad? On our shopping episode. On our <laughs> 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 it literally Damn. goes from, like, fuck Shein, and then it's, like... Shein, <laughs> get a 18 bras for 18 cents. <laughs> Stop. Oh, you got oh, me sweating. Oh, this is so funny. Oh, I got a haircut. Now I'm feeling myself. It looks good. Dang, I haven't gotten a haircut in two months. That queen was I talking to me. I also need a fucking haircut. About her sugar daddy. That's fucking crazy. I don't know, girl. When I get a haircut, I want silence. Same. I don't want to talk. She talks the whole time. Same when I get my nails done. I want silence. Same. But I, I know. I want to watch some reality TV. Ooh, put on Housewives. Yeah. I got Anyways. one. Did you see it? Oh, those are cunty. They're shiny green. Let me see. Ooh, it's almost like a In teal LA. forest green. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Oh, one second. Don't get into it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm keeping that in. <laughs> um, <laughs> I hate you. 
<laughs> okay, so here I am. Hello, hello, hello. We were just talking about um, GIS querying the map, and um, Ashton gave me a really nice segue into kind of just like community on the internet um, as a place to find queer joy and celebration when wherever you live may not have that community. And so that's kind of like my theme. The internet can be the place where you organize and find people who... Mm-hmm support you and affirm you mm-hmm. um but first i wanted to talk about the gender makeup of our audience hey <laughs> we're gonna talk about you 59 percent female Ooh, the girls 22 percent male okay seven <laughs> percent not specified love you and 13 percent non-binary hey y'all which the, is the nbs awesome. the nbs are in the chat don't call them nbs what nbs it, it's spelled e-n-b-y-s but it literally is n-b non-binary i know oh but okay like, <laughs> is that like a derogatory like, term i feel like nbs like i feel like it's kind of chuggy it is chuggy <laughs> i know it's chuggy and i love it <laughs> Okay, okay, fine. Whatever. Hi. Hi. <laughs> you said begrudgingly. Hi. Um, yeah, so I think that's pretty cool. I, I just like to to watch the non-binary numbers go up every day. Um, that's a crazy sentence. This is the non-binary podcast. The um, non-binary podcast. Okay, so I want to talk about kind of like pronouns and like your identity online. Okay. Um, and so I found this really interesting <laughs> article by the UK consulate okay. called Why Do Americans Use Pronouns? <laughs> and it's as if they don't speak the same fucking language as we do, bitch. I know. I'm like, what? <laughs> but they were kind of like describing it as like a cultural phenomenon that's like rising in the US. Oh, like identity politics, essentially? Well, it, the article's purpose, like other consulates, is to advise people from that culture on our culture so that when they come here, it's like something that they understand and like they can, there's less culture shock. And so they okay. were describing like the presence of pronoun usage in American culture as something that British people might get culture shock from, which I think is true, especially That's in like. True. I experienced that when I first went to university because never, ever before had someone asked me what my pronouns were. And then suddenly in every class and every event, I was being asked that. And I was like, shit, what are my pronouns? Give me your name, your pronouns, and your favorite color. One interesting fact. I'm like, girl, leave me alone. (laughs) But now we see that um, presence kind of proliferating in the workplace and like as Gen Z and like millennials who have adopted this really early on are kind of like spreading their wings we're seeing like pronoun usage and not usage but just like the question of what is your pronouns being like asked a lot more Mm -hmm. and um it kind of makes you like think about it you know it sends you on your gender journey which is something that i think that's a reason why people don't want i agree that because it causes you to start thinking of like Uh, critical critical thinking thinking. no please stop (laughs) i beg of you it like offers the idea that there might be something different you know (gasps) oh i have a choice difference yeah (laughs) and so it i i don't know i just thought that was funny that it's like okay i'm prepping i'm studying american culture and now i have to like learn pronouns it's just funny (laughs) i gotta go do my pronoun homework yeah and so i think but i think that's cool that like 
Americans are kind of normalizing the disclosing of pronouns 100%. as something that you kind of just have to do when you get to know someone. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite things to do on the internet is watch the videos of people asking on TikTok Live what their pronouns are and then they get like really mad. <laughs> Those are so funny. <laughs> like the way that people reply to it is like, I don't use pronouns or it's like, I'm a man. <laughs> and it's just really funny because it you're not answering the question and it would be so easy to just say it. But and then people would like use the wrong pronouns for them. Or just they'll to, put like, <laughs> like fake joke pronouns in their bios. And I'm like, yeah. girl, shut up. I saw one the other day. It was like Trump supporter. <laughs> no, I thought I saw one the other day that said fee five fo fo with every single one of them separated <laughs> by a forward slash. What is your gender then? Like fucking G Jolly Green Giant. That's <laughs> <laughs> ah, so bitch. funny. Oh yeah, God. I was like, low key, the transphobes went off with that one. That was kind of funny. I, I did giggle. Yeah, I did. I did. I did, I did, I did giggle. <laughs> that is really funny. I was like, shut the fuck up. And I, imagine if you like were like, and Fee said, <laughs> and then Five Fo said, <laughs> Girl, I saw thumb the, the other day. <laughs> <laughs> you would believe what Fo said to me one day. I'd do it. If they asked me to, because you know what? It's that easy. It is. Um. <laughs> I'm dead. I'd do it if they asked me to. I'd do it. I'm dead. <laughs> okay, so when when, <laughs> when we bring pronouns into, like, the social media space and the internet space, it's like we may be forced to be forming this, like, social capital identity mm. on the internet. Like, who we mm -hmm. are on the internet is becoming so valuable to us and influencer like influencer culture exactly like mm -hmm. we're all pretending that we're like little micro influencers consuming personalities yeah yeah and but i think that that's kind of like a really interesting like it it holds up to a lens to what we value mm. and the fact that pronouns in bio is such like a thing that we use now is just really interesting because it's like we're normalizing it and it's almost become a place like instagram has become a place where one defines their entire personality and so because of that mm -hmm. um the pronouns in bio is like a great solution to normalizing pronouns mm -hmm. and especially in a world where it's like subversive to state your gender identity just kind of like out in Blatantly. public yeah. yeah and so like for example at work like i was really nervous to you know, tell everybody what my pronouns were, mm -hmm. but hoping that people would might maybe just like follow me on Instagram and then see them and then, mm -hmm. <laughs> and then yep. do that, you know, mm -hmm. and that's nice. I wish there was like another platform like that to kind of just like mm -hmm. express yourself or just like I, I feel that way sometimes with my culture too. Like mm -hmm. I feel like I need to tell people, but I don't know how to do that. And mm -hmm. so Instagram is like another way that I kind of just like yeah. show my culture. 100%. And so, but yeah, I wish it wasn't Instagram because yeah. I hate social media and social yeah. capital yeah. and I'm addicted to it and I can't yeah. stop, but I hate it. I will say <laughs> um, like Instagram was the place that kind of allowed me to have a soft coming out whenever I came out as non-binary. Like, yeah. What I did is I literally just changed my pronouns on my bio. I told people closest to me and I called it a fucking day. Yeah, me um, as well. And so, yeah. And so the way like, that you're like sweating when you're changing. You know, your you're, you're like. <gasps> <laughs> you you're hit your fingers. <laughs> your fingers shaking while you hit the Instagram edit profile button. 
But yeah, so like <laughs> I I will say that like as much as I do hate Instagram in a lot of ways, it has been a mechanism of like really embracing parts of myself that, like you said earlier, are somewhat culturally subversive yeah. in a way. Yeah, for sure. Because you have total control of it. Yeah, not 100%. I mean, Instagram may be making money off of you. I, they're all making but... money off of us. They're <laughs> At all least, selling our data. You know, yeah. So I think that that's just kind of like my intro into the way that online spaces can be kind of a vessel for organizing mm. and just the fact that so many people are using like showing their pronouns in their bio and then also how it's like almost like you're kind of forced to because the app like will ask you mm. several times and not just instagram but like other things like even like teams and yeah. zoom it's the woke you know? agenda yeah don't you know exactly <laughs> So, yeah, I wanted to talk about my online communities, the ones that I have been a part of, (laughs) and what it did for me. Or what it did to you. What it did to me. (laughs) Um, Okay, so the first community that I experienced online where I was, like, talking with people and, like, I had really good friends on it and I was, like, I looked forward to hanging out with them after school was Minecraft. I thought you were about to say the bronies again. <laughs> well, it evolved into that. <laughs> but yeah, my Minecraft was like so fun. I would just log on. I would talk to my little friends on Skype and they were from on all over the world. You know, Skype. I had friends in like Germany and in like New York. Mm. And one of my best friends, Harrison, is literally getting married this year. Yeah. And I met him on Minecraft Period. and I am their best person. Like, Period. <laughs> shout some, out Harrison. Yeah. Hey, queen. <laughs> and so there's literally like, I don't know. It, it was always so weird because I literally, I, I had very, very few friends in mm-hmm. person that I could, like, relate to. Mm-hmm. And somehow through Minecraft, through mm-hmm. Skype, I, like, found these people. Yeah. And I think that was kind of just, like, oh, okay, the internet is, like, my place to make things and exist and, like, and is. do shit. And so um, that kind of evolved into I started making, like, I became an admin on this Minecraft server. I was, like, moderating it. I was, like, changing around, like, the way that it looked. And I was making – I was, like, coding stuff. And then I started making, like, advertisements for the server. Mm. Like, I and that kind of led me into, like, making stuff on YouTube. Mm. And I had been on YouTube at least since 2007. Like, I was on it on my mom's computer, like, upstairs. Littlest pet shop clips. Exactly. (laughs) Well, before, yeah, before the Minecraft server, PK and I were, um, we forgot to talk about it in our episode, but we we did make Littlest Pet Shop videos on YouTube, and our Gangnam Style parody got pretty big. It had, like, like... 30,000 views, (laughs) and I'm like, I watched it one day. It was so funny. If you were not part of the Littlest Pet Shop fandom on YouTube, you have no idea I'm talking about but it was kind of a huge moment in the culture and I have seen a lot of like um commentary videos on it recently like it's my little pet shop my littlest pet shop YouTube like the community it was a community (sighs) it was a community they're rising (laughs) and um also Pokemon training trading was a community I was a part of um and then of course Brodies we've already talked about the Brodies I'm not gonna go too crazy into it but are you sure? I just think about like YouTuber fandoms and how 
big of a part of my life that was and the way I would like connect with others over that mm. and I even went to VidCon in 2015 I met um who did I meet I met Troy Savon yeah I met Rhett and Link I met Smosh. I met okay. Joey Graceffa. <laughs> I stood in line for Joey Graceffa for like an hour. I couldn't wait to be here. You really admitted that on the internet. I met Paint. I met Shane Dawson's girlfriend. Wait, what? <laughs> when he had when he had a girlfriend. Is he bi? Yeah. I thought he was just a full-blown gay man. I did this is news to me. It doesn't matter. He's canceled. Yeah. I was um, like, no, 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 no who else who else i don't know it was just literally the best day of my life like when i went to vidcon at 15 at the peak of like youtuber like culture like when it was just kind of starting that was like literally the best experience <laughs> and i met so many other like young youtube creators and it was just meeting a shane time. dawson's girlfriend was the best day of my <laughs> life she's cool okay i don't have a problem with her <laughs> I I bumped into PewDiePie. What the fuck? Like our bodies touched. And he's <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he and he wasn't supposed to be there, but I bumped into him. He was like surrounded by bodyguards. And somehow I like weaved my way in there on accident. <laughs> our bodies touched. <laughs> Uh, I am, if you are not on Patreon watching this video episode, I am beat red. <laughs> he was really short. Um, yeah. But, okay, a huge moment for me was, like, watching all of these YouTubers that I, that I watched slowly come out. Mm. Uh, which is, like, at first, nobody thinks that they were gay, you know, and then eventually, like, all of the YouTubers I watched were gay, and I was like, what does this mean for me? And I was like, <laughs> are you, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I remember I had um, this friend, and we both watched, like, I don't know if you know who this is, but um, Dan is on fire, and his, um, mm -hmm. his flatmate, Phil, and they made vlogs together, and they made, like, funny little videos together, and, um, uh, there was the fandom was very much like they're gay and they love each other which happens a lot mm -hmm. in internet fandoms mm -hmm. but i had this friend that would watch it with me and i was telling her about this and she was like no it can't be that would never be true and then when i told her that she like didn't believe me and then she stopped talking to me <laughs> wow homophobe. because she was like she thought that I was, like, influencing her to watch, like, gay content. And literally, they didn't come out until, like, just a few years ago. I don't know. That's just something I remember. It's just weird, a weird experience. Um, <laughs> so, those were my fandoms. What, mm -hmm. Were you in any fandoms? Were you on the internet? Like, tell, let's spill the tea. So, I can't believe I'm about to admit this. Do it! <laughs> I have... I've spilled my guts. Do you know who Alex James is? No. I don't know who that Do is. You, no, okay. Nobody in this room knows who Alex James is. Okay. So, Alex James is this, like, gay white comedian and, like, influencer who... <sighs> I've grown so much since this phase. <laughs> he basically got his whole, like, notoriety and um, fame from, like playing black caricatures 
And when I was younger, I like had no idea that that's what was happening. This yeah. is like literally eighth grade. So like very young. Um, I bet it's just something that like the boys showed you while you were like on the bench at no, the basketball no, game. No, I had a I whole. Just learned that you did. I that's had a, crazy. Like, they literally just learned that I played basketball like minutes ago. <laughs> I had no and, idea. And like I played basketball, football, um, soccer. Uh, I ran track. I I think that's it. That's insane. Listen, you, look at all this leg. <laughs> Honestly, if you don't get Patreon for anything else, get it for the legs. <laughs> The fuck? The fuck? Who needs OnlyFans? <laughs> okay, I'm getting too out of my hand. But um, I, yeah, I had a full Instagram fan page for Alex James. Shut the fuck up. And I would, like, reach out to other Alex James fan pages and be like, hey, how did you, like, build your site and your content? And, like, how do you gain a following? And, like, have you ever got to, like, hang out with Alex? Oh, my like, God. I was obsessed. What what yeah. platform did he make stuff on YouTube? Instagram. Instagram. No, that would have been before Instagram because it was eighth grade. No, eighth grade. That was when Instagram had just come out, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. What, like 2014, mm-hmm. 13, 14, yeah. Um, oh, Vine is where I found him at first. Oh, my God, he was, Vine. He was huge on Vine for a while. Um, Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> Are Not, you watching it? I'm looking at this person. Is this this the guy? Yes, that's Alex James. <laughs> I I tried so hard to find a picture of him not in a wig. Whoa! What? He's, <laughs> he's in wigs, and like he basically just does drag now, but what? without any of the makeup. He just. Dra- that's all he's wig. ever done yeah that's all he's ever done so basically he's got like personas but basically these personas are just characters of black women uh, um yeah and so when i was younger there's I, so much of that on like 2013 yeah, internet yeah and it's i was like ridiculous. oh so funny and now looking back i'm like oh yeah oh oh dear god <laughs> yeah oh that was my darkest hour it, i believe yeah. um but Anyways, let's not talk about fandoms anymore. <laughs> I don't want to dwell on okay. that. Okay. Well, I think it's interesting that even just like you can find something and cling to it and then for some reason you're like, I have to make a community out of this. I don't know why. Like you're like, I have to make a fandom. I have to like start a fan page. I had no business. And that is so true for me at least and so true for like other people I know who like were part of the same fandoms I was in, especially the fucking super who locks. Um but anyways, 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 uh, we'll move past that. I'm actually rewatching Doctor Who right now. I think now. I'm in an unsafe place. <laughs> <laughs> but the there's a duality to that in that um, they also have really scary fandoms and fascist fandoms and communities on the internet that are allowed to exist and allowed to proliferate without even like, I don't know, without like any restrictions. And the effect that it's having on our society and like our democracy is mm. really terrifying um and so that kind of again speaks to like the way that the internet can be used for good and for bad Mm. and i think that we're finally to a place where we're kind of like we 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 got to a place where we were learning like how to divide that and like how to block it and like make the internet a safe place to be Mm. but now with like that we're leaning more towards like algorithmic systems Mm. um we have less and less choice of what we consume for sure um and so 
yeah, the internet gives us organizing accessibility in like every sense of the word, whether that be like giving giving access to people who shouldn't be organizing around certain themes, mm-hmm. like racist communities. Mm-hmm. And then we have these other communities that are genuinely well, I I think this goes for even like incels all the way to K-pop stands, which is that like the the world that you are experiencing outside of the internet is not affirming you mm-hmm. in the way that you feel like you are meant to be treated. Exactly. For K-pop fans, that means that people just don't really like k-pop and you like to talk to other people that like k-pop yeah and you like to call yourself an army and then a the, who? an army the fuck is that the bts army <laughs> so the Dude. swifties are gonna come for you and the army's gonna come for me <laughs> well they call themselves the army i don't know if this is why they call themselves the army but i think it's super ironic that all the members of bts are in the Didn't army get, now. yeah i was about to say <laughs> i think that's why they do it I don't know. I think it's funny. Anyways, so we have that. We have the affirmation of that, like, obsession and, like, finding other people that can relate to you on that level. But when you're talking about an incel, you're talking about someone who genuinely feels so excluded from such a huge part of, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Mainstream society. Yes. Yeah. Which is, like, dating and hooking up and sex. Gender performance. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. Okay. So if you think about incels as sort of this performance of masculinity as being a validation of masculinity uh-huh. as sort of like that performance of, oh, I've got a girlfriend, we're playing house. Like, this is how I validate my masculinity. Mm-hmm. In lieu of that, they are validating each other's masculinity by saying like, you don't need them anyways. We're alpha males. We're beta males. Well, no, like, the, it's, it's almost the opposite. They're saying that I'm so emasculine mm-hmm. that I am involuntarily celibate. Maybe I don't understand incelism fully. <laughs> and I don't think that that's a bad thing. It, it just means that like the way that they are is something that they have recognized as excluded from everyone else. And they think that that's unfair to the point where it's like doomer and really... It, it it's really sad. I just don't like, know how you get to that mental space, like that headspace. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I think, you know, you start by just feeling like, damn, like this girl, she doesn't, she's not giving me any attention. Like, mm. damn. And then you see an Instagram post that's like, women are horrible. They women never want to like. Awful. Women mm. will never like you because mm. you don't have a chin and you're balding and. Okay, don't come for me, bitch. No, but I'm just saying <laughs> that's what they say to each other. You know, they, they prey on each other in that way and then they're like maybe they're right and then they go deeper and deeper and deeper into it until the only people that they feel that they can confide in are other people that are so Mm. deep into that hole that they are just it's that positive feedback loop of pain confirmation but it is that community they're seeking that community and that's what it is it is a word yeah that. (laughs) (laughs) that that is a word yeah um but we also have like accessibility in like the a more pure sense of the word, like how the internet can give people, like many people, the ability to organize even if they're unable to physically organize and protest. Mm-hmm. I think that we're seeing the rise of like digital organizing in a way that's like a lot more accepted, mm-hmm. um, especially just because we're recognizing that like 
your voice on the internet because of your ability might just be where you feel like you can express yourself Mm. and i think that there certainly is value in like organizing in person um but like we we should give also value to organizing on the internet (laughs) well i mean yeah for example like i just saw a post about like the effects of the boycott and like the effects that those have had on corporations like starbucks and like things like that have been organized online right now like this is something that we've coordinated as like a almost a global community to some degree um and like people shit on people shit on the use of like instagram stories and like kind of like the performativity of that i get so much information from stories right and we don't have like we don't have independent press we don't have Mm -hmm. zines people aren't really doing that as much and so in in lieu of that we have instagram stories Mm -hmm. and so i think we just have to understand the nuance of accepting that as like a valid source of like Mm -hmm. sharing information and getting information but also just recognizing that like the internet can like send you into kind of like a a hole where for sure you feel like that's the scope of the entire world Mm -hmm. and um yeah i don't know and that's because of like grass right (laughs) but that's because of the algorithm that's preying on you yes and the app that's making money off of you and wants you to stay on that forever yes so you just have to balance that giving you notifications to keep you coming back all these types of things exactly um so yeah that's my bit on like communities um online communities revealed a lot about myself there (laughs) (laughs) but i I'm really excited to get into this this last part where we're talking about solar punk and e- ecofuturism because I feel like we're tying in the beginning of this conversation and like understanding our relationship with nature with understanding our relationship with technology as something that can be fused together to benefit mm-hmm. everyone. Yeah. And so solar punk is an artistic aesthetic and futurism that centers hope with real world application. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I want to talk about like, I, let's just break down what that is <laughs> because that's a lot of words. Yeah. So what is punk? Punk is a subculture. Um, Wikipedia <laughs> actually had like a, the best description I could find, honestly. Okay. Um, it's a, let's see, punk political ideologies are mostly concerned with individual freedom and anti-establishment views. Common punk viewpoints include individual liberty, anti-authoritarianism, a DIY ethic, non-conformity, anti-corporatism, anti-government direct action, and not selling out. (laughs) You're such a sellout. Don't be a sellout. Yeah. (laughs) And I think punk is like something that people maybe don't call themselves as much anymore because it kind of started in the seventies, um, in the UK and then also in like kind of in New York at the time. Um, if you've seen the new spider verse movie, uh, spider punk, is that his name? Yes. I loved spider punk. Of course. We all love spider punk. I loved spider punk. Yeah. I feel like he is punk. He's Mm anti-establishment. He's all of those things. And Mm -hmm. so if you're trying to figure out what that is, just that he, spider punk (laughs) um and so we've got punk we've got the anti-establishment kind of the rebellious side and then we've got this idea of like futurisms Mm -hmm. and i thought that we could kind of describe that by talking about afrofuturism okay so the national museum of african-american history and culture says that 
Afrofuturism expresses notions of Black identity, agency, and freedom through art, creative works, and activism that envision liberated futures for Black life. Mm. And so um, Afrofuturist works can include themes of space exploration, advanced technology, and futuristic societies, Mm -hmm. all rooted in and influenced by Black or African cultures. And it engages with the possibilities of the future, combining elements of like science fiction, fantasy, and mythology. Mm-hmm. And this kind of comes back to the idea of like representation mm-hmm. and how a lot of these, um, a lot of this media has not historically included Black or African voices. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just kind of like even putting them into that space is a way of imagining like the future of Black lives mm-hmm. and like being able to visualize that success and proliferation and like happiness um and so uh it gained popularity it the term afrofuturism gained popularity um in the mainstream after the movie black panther came out in 2018 very afrofuturism very fashion yeah yeah yeah. there is also the concept of afro surrealism Mm. which incorporates surreal and dreamlike elements that provide perspectives with emphasis on the histories and diaspora of people of african descent so where like afrofuturism kind of takes these really important themes and like visual concepts of Mm -hmm. like african history and black history afro surrealism um tends to incorporate more themes of like that the nuance of Mm -hmm. diaspora and Mm -hmm. um yeah just kind of like of culture of locality yes exactly Mm -hmm. like yeah um the evolution of a culture yeah and so this difference is outlined in a zine um, that my friend Taylor sent to me. Um, Thank you, bestie Taylor. Yeah, um, called Afro-Surrealism slash Afrofuturism by Jack Moore. Hmm. And he says that Afro-Surrealism is an actionable realization of Black agency and empowerment hmm. rather than Afrofuturism, which is aspirational and does not necessarily provide the links between the present and the idealized future. Hmm. And so... These frameworks have provided the imaginative slash real world applications of futurism um, that I think can guide the solar punk movement, mm-hmm. um, which like many social movements, we know that the conversations that we're having in these movements have already been had mm-hmm. by um, by black activists mm-hmm. um, in their own yep. like community conversations. So. Mm-hmm. As we're going into solar punk and climate justice and as we're talking about these things, it's really important to me that we acknowledge those origins mm-hmm. and learn from them also. Mm-hmm. And so um, solar punk offers visions of collective living, mutually beneficial systems, both with others and the planet. Mm-hmm. And it embodies the merging of the worlds we've discussed, taking the best parts of technology advancements and the centuries long knowledge that will guide further harmony so like when we're talking about indigenous knowledge um and you know eco-eroticism and kind of like mm-hmm. those experiences of oh, oh so cute. we're almost done <laughs> i hope done, that picked y'all. it up it did it <laughs> my had cat to just have. meowed if it didn't oh, um <laughs> such like a pathetic little meow too um so yeah it, i think that's maybe something that more people are familiar with is the idea of cyberpunk um, mm. which is certainly more dystopian. It's like technological advancement, but from like <laughs> bitch. <laughs> this is why I don't drink water. 
don't pawn your mistakes off on me. <laughs> and second of all, I thought it wouldn't pick up. <laughs> it definitely and did. It absolutely picked up. <laughs> you can hear Google. Oh, my God. You can hear it from here. Yeah, <laughs> it's fucking loud. <laughs> Continue. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Cyberpunk is more of like a dystopian aesthetic where it's like the the advancement of technology has gone so far to the point where either we're living alongside it um, in a way that we have like equal control as they do over like the decisions that happen in society. And when mm. I'm saying they, I literally mean like technology, like AI or mm. like robots or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's like that aesthetic. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think of like a cyberpunk movie or like Tron Legacy. Yeah, definitely. Um, or cyberpunk. Yeah, the game, <laughs> the cyberpunk game. I, is that a game? Yeah, I've game. never heard of it. Before. It's also a TV show. I think. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um. Ooh, or or I'd say Mad Max is low key a little cyberpunk, yeah. but also a little bit like um, like post apocalyptic cyberpunk. Yeah, it's like a very almost like steampunk in a lot of ways. <laughs> I would so, say that that's yeah. definitely like kind of a, a part of it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, and so. Solar punk kind of takes cyberpunk and says, like, what would happen if this was a utopia? Mm. Um, what what would happen if we turn this into something where we were living in harmony with nature and also technology mm. um, instead of it, like, kind of being used by capitalism? Mm. That That's also a big part of cyberpunk is, like, the technology that's taking over is was, like, developed by a corporation and, mm. like, they're, they have total control over humanity. And, mm -hmm. yeah, so... Um, there's also a lot of ways that cyber or solar punk can be mistaken for greenwashing. Um, hmm. I see a lot of like solar punk depictions of just like maybe someone like planted some grass on a roof and um, or mm -hmm. and that's not what it is. It's more just like it, it it's like a total aesthetic, but also like societal shift to yeah like you're not just covering up brutalism you're creating a whole new that was my thought it's like that putting grass on a roof is green architecture like that's yeah. something that is already has a space already has like a classification like you can say that you know it's for whatever purpose but ultimately like yeah yeah it's just because i would argue that even grass itself is like aesthetic establishment <laughs> oh i mean 100 percent because all of our native grasses are gone replaced by these like monocultured like sod if you guys are interested in solar punk you have to check out this um youtube channel uh andrewism which also andrewism just I'm, I'm literally i this is my favorite youtube channel because he does <laughs> like some really really awesome commentaries on just like life um mm -hmm. under capitalism and the different ways that we would like benefit from other systems and solar punk is just one of the systems that um they explore okay. and so they say that solar punk is has several characteristics uh it is anti-capitalist mm. it is focused on local power organizing from the bottom autonomy mm. and diy rewilding we rewilding mm -hmm. <laughs> accessibility to eco-eroticism yeah um degrowth and post-work, which means like using the best bits of tech to benefit everyone. Mm. It's critical of tech worship. So like mm. Elon Musk um, mm. fans, the Elonies, 
I don't know if anyone calls them that, but the I tes- do. The tes- Tesla. Teslicles. The Teslicles. <laughs> That's actually not too bad. Thank I kind you. of fuck with that. Okay. Um, the yeah. Teslicles. So like some people might be like, oh, carbon sequestration is, is solar punk. Don't get me started on carbon sequestration. <sighs> we hate that shit. Just no. stop putting the carbon in the air in the first Just place. Just stop making it. Yeah, literally. Let's get uh, it at the source, babes. Um, and then a big part of it is also anti-statist, which I just learned kind of like what that is. And now it's kind of, I'm like, it's kind of a sexy part of my vocab. Um, but it basically just means like sovereignty as a daily practice and really being critical of any big state mm-hmm. that is trying to control and exploit and take advantage of you. Mm. And this kind of has been on my mind because of the UN has been fucking everywhere recently, yeah. whether it be um, because of uh, COP, which just happened, yeah. where one in every 30 people was a fossil fuel lobbyist. Don't get me started. And how, like, they they just released, like, the final, like, statement or whatever, but mm. they were, like, they didn't want to use the word phasing out from fossil fuels like there was several countries that wouldn't sign on because they didn't like the language phasing out and they want to be using like move away from and i think that's something that just crazy you have to yeah and i think that that's something like within cop that's like very frustrating is that like one all of these representatives have like vested interest in fossil fuels and two, they all have to come to some sort of agreement on the statement that's issued. Yeah. And so if you put two and two together, you're obviously going to get four. And four is yeah. them advocating for moving away from fossil right. fuels. Right. Like, And maybe this is just up. because... I'm like, I'm mad that I will never get invited to COP. But <laughs> I can see you at COP year, one day. This year, I watching cop content was so dystopian Mm. because it literally felt like i was watching like vidcon content because there's all these like young sustainability influencers that are like all right i'm gonna fly to dubai and go to cop like i'm like you're flat you're flying to dubai also dubai okay wait, 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 like the oil capital of the fucking world what is a sustainability influencer because that feels counterintuitive. <laughs> there was just I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It was just so weird to see like people that I follow and like who who make really who are really great digital organizers be at this conference where there's so many like awful conversations taking place yeah. and they're like it's so great to be at cop and it, it's just weird it was weird it We're was a weird just, experience yeah no like i don't know i don't know uh, uh maybe i'm just jealous i don't, <laughs> I don't know i mean maybe a little bit but i do think there's some weight to what you're saying yeah like i would love to go to cop but also it sucks and i can hold those two truths at once yeah so if we ain't gonna get invited to cop we're just gonna burn the place down no literally um <laughs> to the ground so oh, that's just literally so embarrassing um <laughs> so yeah i think that um just like afrofuturism we require a critical historical lens to avoid whitewashing solar punk and acknowledging that like the global power dynamics that make it so difficult to achieve a solar punk reality are like recognized in the same way that like afro surrealism hmm. takes that like real world application further by acknowledging like the systems that are in place Mm -hmm. 
Um, and so we can supplement solar punk with queer and political ecology. Yeah. Um, which is so sexy. <laughs> um, and then I have a couple of like artist depictions of solar punk that I wanted to share. And this is my last point. So um, there's this. <laughs> it's actually a Chobani commercial. <laughs> like the yogurt. <laughs> but it's made by this artist called the line and it's called dear alice um and it's like an animated illustrated representation of just kind of like life in a solar punk utopia where she's like milking some cows and the cows are laying under these solar panels and she's going inside and her house is like it has like computers and like it's not cottage core but it is a little bit like it's cottage core plus like just having computers i guess <laughs> okay <laughs> but it's really pretty um okay. and there's people who have edited out the chobani part of it so it's just like <laughs> so it's just like a normal animation oh dear god um <laughs> we have curry j hackett which um i think is more of like an afro surrealist artist but i think it certainly plays in uh, is also a part of solar punk mm. um he works with artificial intelligence tools to create scenes from an Afrofuturist alternative history and imagine a world that centers blackness. Mm. Um, we have Joan underscore de underscore art, <laughs> who is a solar punk artist who creates depictions of regenerative housing and communities mm-hmm. and kind of like draws out these systems as they would work um, in daily life, which is really cool. Um, would love to just like move into one of those illustrations. They look so nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, we have at Kid Cadaver, um, who examines contemporary sociopolitical, cultural, and environmental realities through the mm. tradition of architectural utopianism hmm. um, from a sci-fi inspired and Afro-surrealist perspective. Oh, that's dope. Um, that's what I showed you where it's like that was the yeah. big cities. That was and, really cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. I'd live there for sure. Yeah. So those are those are three artists that I um, or no. Yeah, three three artists that I have really come to enjoy and it's really just lovely to follow and see yeah. their content come up and just remember that that's like the future that I would love to live in. Yeah. Um, and I think the more that we can like imagine ourselves in these worlds, the more that we can be motivated to create it. And I think juxtaposed next to COP and like these institutional systems that are like really failing us, mm-hmm. it it's so true for me that the community and the power that I find and the support that I find is something that I'm creating with the people in my life, mm-hmm. whether that be online or offline. Mm-hmm. 100%. And if you're feeling discouraged, that's where you need to lean into. Yeah. And that's how we'll win. Period. Cynicism will not save us. I am trying to teach myself Period. that. So. Yeah. <sighs> Damn, we said a lot of things this episode. We said a lot of things, but it's our finale. So it, is it can our be finale. long. It can and y'all be. won't see us for a while. That and because it is our finale, maybe you like dose this episode if it is long, you know? You're just like, no, no. Sit down and listen to the whole thing. Exactly. Treat yourself. <laughs> I'm not gonna advocate for that because that's not what I want you to do. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, I don't do we have any closing remarks? How do we wanna I don't know. What do you think about solar punk? I think solar punk is very cool. I think um, 
Wally gives me sober punk, sober punk, solar punk vibes for some reason. Totally, um, I feel like Wally starts out cyberpunk and then becomes solar, solar punk. punk. Yes, yes, I love Wally. Yeah, Wally is a very good movie. So I was very much thinking Stop, about. Let's watch Wally. <laughs> I would love to. I was thinking about Wally almost the entire time we were talking about that. Um, and I think that sort of ideas of like Afrofuturism specifically are very interesting. And you said about like centering blackness. And mm-hmm. I think that that is something that is like a really profound thought just because like, I think in a lot of ways our society is centered on whiteness. Um, and it's such a radical idea to be like, what if we have had completely restructured, reformatted what society looks like? Mm-hmm. And I, I think that is, somebody commented the other day saying that we are just talking about sort of like utopian idealistic ways of being outside of capitalism that will never really come to fruition Mm. i did not see that comment that's wild i deleted the comment because (laughs) because it is within our right and it is something that i think is we should constantly practice is imagining better futures even if that future is not necessarily realistic i don't think it does you any harm to imagine better for yourself and for your loved ones and for nature and so you know if somebody comes at you with something like that just please ignore them because yeah i think that they're something so beautiful and resilient about having the ability to imagine better futures in the face of what we're going through currently yes yeah. like a global community so for sure it's beautiful. Thank you. Fuck that comment. Bitch. <laughs> and with that. <laughs> no, yeah. I oh, feel with that. Um, it's been a lovely season. It it's has. been a lovely year. You guys have really it been has. with us since our first episode Truly. on October 26th. Yeah. 2023. It's so crazy. Has, uh, we, um, this has been such a journey. An I adventure. know. I've just been thinking about like the magic we felt after the first time we recorded that I, episode yeah. that no one will ever hear. Yeah. And I just like, we, we've come so far. Yeah. And... As soon as we recorded, we were like, we have something here. Yeah. It was a great feeling. And I don't, I think that that feeling has remained ubiquitous throughout almost every single episode we've recorded. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. I'm and just very we were grateful. In such a different place when we started. Like, yeah. We started doing this in a place of, struggling in pretty much every sense of the word and i I think that i'm still kind of there (laughs) (laughs) that's very true but i still think that like it's motivated me for sure to just like that i i deserve to create and i in this way and i'm gonna do whatever i can to continue creating in this way because it brings me so much joy yeah our online community (laughs) Wow. Went straight from Minecraft to podcasting. <laughs> Listen, and that is the pipeline nobody wants to talk about. <laughs> the Minecraft to Brony to podcaster pipeline. <laughs> Stop. You will never not slide bronies into the conversation. <laughs> Granted, that was me that brought it up before you even got to your notes. It was. You didn't, so. even, get, you didn't even let me. Because one thing about me is I'm going to hold you to it. Um, and that I will never let you forget, even though you don't you don't feel any type of way about it. I don't. Know. And you shouldn't. Don't let me shame you. <laughs> Ignore me. Okay, we're done. We got to be done. Bye, y'all. Bye. Have a fantastic holiday. Yeah, happy holidays. Um, 
Safe travels. If you liked our show, we'd love it if you could share it with a friend who might also enjoy it. If you're listening on Spotify, be sure to follow and rate our show by tapping the three dots on our profile and then the little star icon listed as Rate Show. Just as a reminder, if you aren't following Out on Earth Pod on Instagram and TikTok, you're missing out on a ton of awesome visual guides, memes, and jokes to go along with the show. If you have questions or concerns, feel free to email us at outonearthpod at gmail.com or to shoot us a DM on Instagram. And be sure to take our survey in the description below to suggest our episodes or let us know what we did right. Thanks again for listening. Together, we can find joy out on Earth. We pay tribute to the indigenous communities whose ancestral land we are currently recording on, long before the establishment of the United States. These include the Apache, Caddo, Tonkawa, and Wichita. We also hold in high regard the tribes with a historical connection to this area, such as the Comanche, Kiowa, Osage, and Quapaw. Before achieving statehood, we acknowledge that the lands surrounding Oklahoma City were originally designated the Muscogee Creek and Seminole Nations. We recognize that this region once served as a hunting ground, cultural hub, a hub for trade, and a migration route for the Apache, Comanche, Kiowa, and Osage nations. Today, the state of Oklahoma is home to 39 federally recognized tribal nations, a consequence of settler colonial policies aimed at assimilating and murdering indigenous peoples who have made Oklahoma their home. Out on Earth is written, produced, and edited by Cricket Kaya and Ashton Attic, hosted by Acast, music provided by Halizna. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.